Alright, what is up guys? Uh, some of you may be watching from Spotify, others from Anchor. Uh, so welcome to the podcast. This is going to be my first episode doing this. Uh, I do have a YouTube channel known as Coasterland on YouTube. So uh, go ahead and check that out. Uh, you know, I, I definitely want to see some more subscribers over there that may have come from here. And also some viewers from over there that have come here to listen to this podcast as well. I think both would be really freaking cool. I really do enjoy doing this. And theme parks are my passion. And even if they're not yours, you can still learn a cool tidbit here or there of, hey, oh, this is kind of freaking cool. These theme parks, I kind of want to go there. Even though I'm not like big on the facts or anything, that's kind of cool. So I also will be uh, discussing water parks in this podcast in the future. And today, actually, we have a segment about a certain water park in the local area of mine that um, we'll get into in a little bit. So basically how this is going to work, we're just going to talk about news sometimes. We're going to talk about history sometimes. Eventually, I'd like to get some guests from the industry on. We're going to talk about new rides, old rides, uh memories, all sorts of cool stuff. It's going to be awesome. You guys are going to enjoy it. I really hope so anyways. And let's dive in. So the first thing I want to say is uh, that water park that I was referring to is Wild Water and Wheels. Uh, it was, it was, and that's what we're going to talk about, a water park here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where I live. It's actually located in Surfside Beach which is a little south of Myrtle Beach, but might as well be a suburb, so kind of the same concept. And basically the problem arose a long time ago that the park just wasn't making strides and leaps and bounds with the financial department for a while. Then when it started to, it had a culture problem. So I'm going to go into this uh, pretty in-depth because... I experienced this culture problem. I loved the culture of this park. I want to put that out there first. Absolutely loved the culture of this park. However, it did kind of cause a lot, and I mean a lot of problems. So basically, the culture of the park was quite basic, but like in the sense that it's simple why it was a problem, it's simple what the problem was, and it was so cool that it was a problem. So... Basically, the lifeguards kind of returned year after year and kind of passed on to the new guys. Management had no control over the lifeguards, uh, which was the first fundamental problem. Management did not have a very good control over what was happening in the park. And as a result, lifeguards would bend or sometimes downright break the rules, sending people down water slides backwards, which I thought was awesome. So, you know, I had no complaints there. Uh, Some of them... We'll just, we're not going to name names, of course. We're not going to implicate anybody on this podcast. We never will, and I want to make that abundantly clear. But there were some lifeguards, some of which I may or may not personally know, that did some pretty stupid stuff. Some pretty stupid stuff. So, the reality is, um, I've done some stupid stuff at that park and gotten away with it simply because the culture of the park is to just have fun, but at what cost would be a great way of putting it uh state inspections were always a nightmare for them 
it it wasn't really public, but I've heard a lot from people who work there that when state inspections happened, some of the lifeguards would still screw around. They'd cause problems. They'd lose points on the inspection because stuff was just not getting done the proper procedural way. I mean, you can screw around a little bit and have fun with your job, but as I've learned personally from working in a theme park, I learned the hard way that you can't bend or break the rules too much because it could cause a safety issue. It could become a problem. I've seen it with my own eyes, and it's just not cool. So what I'm going to continue to talk about, though, and what is really interesting is what was allowed on the dark hole slide tower. So there's a slide tower that had two slides off of it known as Whitewater Express and one fully enclosed water slide known as Dark Hole. This tower was by far the most screwed up tower of all time in the sense that this is where all the stuff happened. People getting thrown out of their tubes because they jumped out. I've done that, admittedly. Uh, the lifeguard's not really caring too much. Although in the last year of operation, they cared a little more because COVID kind of wiped out the typical population of lifeguards that was there and never really got passed on. But it was too little too late. Uh, people making human chains down Dark Hole or Whitewater Express. There was that. There was also several other things that just happened that just can't happen. As awesome as they are, they just can't happen in a water park. They just It's not safe admittedly i mean you're taking a risk when you send 10 people down a slide at once chained together by their hands with no inner tube on a slide designed for inner tubes i mean it's just a risk that most parks weren't willing to take but this park didn't really stop for a long time until it became so big a problem that it had to be stopped so the basic premise here is quite simple it was just a culture problem now, the money was also probably an issue because the park was overpriced and there were times when attendance was very low. Although in the last two years of operation, 2021 uh, especially, it was pretty crowded almost every day. A lot of rides were closed in its final year, which kind of gave us all an idea what was about to happen. Their star attraction, Cliff Dive, which is their drop body slide um, with a free fall drop at the end, was closed the entire year for, quote, unknown unknown reasons. The reality was the park was just getting given up on. So to go into that culture a little deeper, uh, this culture has been going on for so long that I don't really think anything could really have truly changed the outcome that occurred as a result of the culture, as a result of the money, and as a result of, hey, let's sell the land for real estate because that's always fun, which is a lot of uh, a lot of parks have met their demise that way, both water parks and amusement parks and theme parks. So it's definitely something that has happened a lot. So that's definitely something, you know. But that culture, I, I don't really know what else to say about it, to be honest with you. I know that's a little unprofessional of me on a podcast to say that, but it's hard to really explained unless you experienced it so i did my best to explain that now as for who owns the park or owned the park uh lazarus entertainment and mark lazarus who is a big figure down here in south carolina he's like a businessman who is well known he ran for, ran for city council i'm not sure if he won 
uh, here in Myrtle Beach. Uh, I haven't really paid attention to the council races, understandably so. So that's kind of the segment there that I wanted to talk about with that. But Mark Lazarus owns the parks. He's infamous for mismanaging amusement and theme parks a little bit. He just doesn't do a good job of it. It's been historically shown with the OD Pavilion up in North Myrtle Beach. That was a disaster when he was... Well, he still is technically in charge of it, although there's not much there anymore. Uh, so not a knock on him either because he's done a lot of great things for the communities here. So I'm not going to knock on him. It's just maybe theme parks aren't his thing, and yet he owns water parks and stuff like that. So they closed down Wild Water, Wild Water and Wheels. Good Lord, my voice just went weird. Um, Wild Water and Wheels, and that was at the end of last season, about October-ish. So this of 2022... Um, we found out that the park was not going to reopen for the 2023 season. Uh, 2022 was a disaster. It was overcrowded, understaffed, the typical problems parks have, on top of rides being closed. Their star attraction, the whole tower was closed. It was just a mess this season, and I can see why that was the final nail in the coffin. If it wasn't already planned, it became planned pretty quickly, very early into the season. So we spent about 10 minutes talking about Wild Water and Wheels. Uh, I'd like to move on to the next segment. Uh, Some other news in the industry that I'd like to talk about is we have an opening date for the Rocky Mountain Construction Built Hybrid Coaster at Fun Spot Atlanta over in Atlanta, Georgia, southern Atlanta on the south side of Atlanta. There's a small park called Fun Spot that had literally nothing entertaining, really roller coaster wise, and decided to randomly build a 155 foot tall hybrid coaster. Although I believe it isn't technically a hybrid, it's actually an all steel ride, but it's the same track design and everything used on the hybrid coasters, so that's kind of why I'm referring to it as that. But uh, designed by Famed coaster designer Joe Dre's. I'm really excited for this ride, and a lot of people are. And if you don't know about it, it's known as Airy Force One after the uh, founder of Fun Spot, who apparently his last name was Airy or something. I I'm guessing, and it's kind of a play on words, which I think it's one of the dumbest names of all time. But it also makes sense because obviously they want to honor their their CEO or their founder or whatever. So I mean, I respect it. It just I don't know, it just doesn't work for me. But that's just my opinion, and, you know, opinions can get dangerous there. But um, we have an opening date. That opening date is officially, I believe, March 3rd. Let me, I'm going to double-check that while we're uh, talking here. But uh, basically, that opening date is huge because nobody really saw one coming, per se. I mean... You know, it's just kind of like it was supposed to open in 2022. And then it didn't. And then we didn't know. And then finally, 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 we actually got a a day. And it is March 3rd, 2023. Air Force One, to go into it a little bit, is a a Rocky Mountain Construction iBox track coaster. 
using steel I-beams for the track. Uh, the ride stands 155 feet tall with a 146-foot drop, so an absolutely huge ride for a park that had never had anything remotely this good. I mean, I can already tell you it's going to be good, just because R RMC or Rocky Mountain Construction has an excellent track record. I don't think they built a bad ride yet that I've ridden anyways, and everybody can agree they are the one coaster manufacturer that has never built a ride that is bad. I don't think I can think of another one that is truly as perfect as RMC has been. So also a top speed of 64 miles per hour. And something I really want to highlight is despite being only 3,400 feet long, they have managed to pack four inversions and several, and I mean numerous airtime moments into this ride. Now, for those who are una unaware, airtime is that feeling, that floaty feeling, or that strong feeling, depending on what kind of airtime, in your stomach, and also you getting lifted out of your seat. Um, that floaty feeling in your stomach is because of negative g-force, which is also known as airtime in this case. Uh, it's where uh, the g's are lower than the Earth's gravity, which allows you to float up, or in some cases be... And probably in Air Force One's case, be launched up into the restraint. Of course, the ride is perfectly safe. RMC has a great track record, especially with their trains that they design themselves. So I need to make it abundantly clear that if you get launched into that restraint, that restraint will hold you and you will not go anywhere. I want to make that clear for anybody who is scared of roller coasters, that they are perfectly safe. You are actually more likely to get hit by a lightning bolt twice than die on a roller coaster. It's incredibly uncommon, and if it does happen, it's typically rider error or ride operator error, admittedly, but a lot of times, some of the worst accidents in theme park history, um, or most tragic ones, not necessarily worst, but most tragic, are stories of people who weren't meeting the rider guidelines, and the ride operator let them go anyway, stuff like that. But again, always know your guidelines, use the test seat. If you don't fit in the test seat, it's not a shameful thing. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. A lot of test seats are designed to be exactly like the restraints, and a lot of coaster manufacturers have not uh, have unfortunately not been as good at uh, accommodating guests of larger stature. And, you know, don't be ashamed of it. It's not a huge, it shouldn't be a huge deal for you because there's always something in a theme park that you'll be able to ride more than likely. So don't worry about it. And I just really feel like coaster manufacturers should definitely look into accommodating guests with, of larger stature just because that's something, that's a whole nother topic for another bit, another uh, podcast. But I just figure I'd get into that a little bit. It's a touchy topic too, so it's a little risky to get into it. So at a cost of 13 million US dollars, um, this ride is expensive for a theme park chain the size of Fun Spot. I mean, they have three parks. Two of them are in Florida, one is in Atlanta. Technically, the official town name is Fayetteville, Georgia. It's a little south of Atlanta. Um, the four inversions though, this is what I really like. It starts with a dive loop, which is not very common necessarily on RMC coasters. Rocky Mountain Construction has done a lot of things, but dive loop, dive loops, they've done them, but they don't do them near as often, mainly because of how the support structure of RMCs are. It's a little harder to design, and it costs more money to support it, yada, yada, yada. But um, 
Yeah, it starts out with a dive loop. It also has a zero-g stall, which is an element that basically flips riders upside down, stalls a little bit by not necessarily slowing down to a stop. Don't get me wrong, that's not what I mean. I mean it stalls in the sense that you're hanging upside down for a second or two as you're moving, then it twists you back upright. It's an excellent element, one of the best of all time, and uh, was actually originally designed by famed coaster designer Alan Schilke, I believe is the original designer of it, because I don't think before RMC we really saw them. Now we see them on other manufacturers' rides as well. So it should tell you how good an element it is when people are copying and pasting. Uh, it also has an outward banked airtime hill, which isn't an inversion, but it's something notable because those outward banked hills on Rocky Mountain construction coasters give some of the best airtime out there. So it's definitely something to consider that will add to the ride even further. Um, there's also a zero G roll. Uh, this is basically a zero gravity roll is the bottom line. It's a fighter pilot maneuver, kind of, sort of, and it's, you know... It's basically like a barrel roll. Although, speaking of barrel rolls, there's also a barrel roll, which is different than a zero-G roll. Um, because a zero-G roll is inclined in a way and enters and exits in a different way. Uh, a barrel roll is more of a flat inversion that doesn't really heartline as much like a heartline roll would. So, if you would like a podcast episode on roller coaster elements, or maybe a few episodes on roller coaster elements what they look like, what they are, their history, let me know. I, I probably am going to do it anyways because I feel like that would really help a lot of people end up, you know, figuring this out. So that being said, um, I want to cover a little bit more on Air Force One uh, in another video once, or not video, podcast. I'm so used to saying video because I am a YouTuber, but in another podcast, uh once more, even more is known. I mean, we know basically everything we need to know, but once we see testing footage, I think that would be huge. Maybe uh, put some of that up on the podcast and analyze it, see what we're, what we're looking at, where the speed looks to be carried better than other places on the ride, stuff like that, just kind of to get an idea, because we won't know how it truly rides till we ride it as enthusiasts and as the general public. Um, which, by the way, I want to make it clear, this podcast is for everybody, and so is my YouTube channel. Um, it's not just a coaster enthusiast thing. You could hate roller coasters, but be interested in how, like, how theme parks are and, like, what different theme parks look like. My channel would be great for you, because I do a lot of videos that showcase theme parks, what the roller coasters look like, and whatnot. So you don't have to love roller coasters to have fun uh, watching my videos and also listening to this podcast, I want to make that abundantly clear. So, you know, I mean, I have people who watch who literally are terrified of them, but they like, they're interested in them. They're interested in, you know, learning more because it's kind of cool. Or they're interested in watching the vlogs just to kind of see what a park looks like, that kind of thing. So, uh, we're at about 20 minutes here, and I'm going to end this podcast episode. Since it's just an initial episode, it's not going to be as long. There's going to be other situations where this could get a lot longer, but um, I'm just kind of testing the waters with this podcast thing. So, yeah, let's uh, let's uh, see you next time, and uh, I hope you guys have a great day. And uh, I will be trying to get guests on this podcast as well at some point. Uh, we'll see how that goes as I build more connections in the community and the industry. All right, guys, see you later.